Hey there, before we start, just want to remind you guys to make sure you subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, and please leave us a review. It helps other people discover the show, gives us a sense of how we're doing. All right, let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. So, Rick, here we are. We've got a big, action-packed powerhouse politics, big week in the Trump presidency. I've got to say, uh, one of the most topsy-turvy weeks of the Trump era, and I know that is saying a lot. <laughs> uh, obviously, the culmination, a victory ceremony, a mission-accomplished ceremony in the Rose Garden. He passed health care through the House, just as I predicted, Rick, it would happen. <laughs> You were right. You win. Fine, John. You finally win. And the question becomes, at what cost? Because this is obviously a huge moment for Donald Trump. It's his first big legislative win. It didn't happen in that first 100 days. It took him that extra week. But there's so many blank price tags. We don't know the cost of this bill. We don't know the cost in terms of money, fiscal costs, or in terms of persons, actual people, what, whose health care is impacted. And we don't know the political cost. And I think it's telling that Democrats were chanting on the, on the House floor as the bill was, uh, was getting passed, uh, say goodbye to those Republicans, even as the Republicans went and celebrated at the White House. So uncertain politics, but you're right, a, a big week for President Trump. And, and a big week for powerhouse politics, because we are going to speak shortly to Rick Dearborn, who is uh, one of the, uh, the deputy chief of staff at the White House. And really, along with our friend Mark Short, uh, the person who's in charge of making sure things work well with their relations to Congress. So uh, Rick Dearborn, kind of a behind-the-scenes player. You don't see him out there much, doesn't talk to the media much, but he's going to be talking to us here on powerhouse politics. And Rick, you also spoke... Uh, to uh, a Democrat who hopes this will be a very big moment for Donald Trump. That's right. Ben Ray Lujan, the chairman of the DCCC, and and he names names. Uh, He talks about the Republicans that they were looking most closely at, and and you're right, they they, they feel like this is an inflection point for 2018. They they feel like they're geared up for the politics of this because they feel like the Republicans don't know what they're getting themselves into. So I I know we we have a lot to unpack with what happened, how we got here, and what the political impact will be and what was going on behind the scenes at the White House and up in the Speaker's uh, office up on Capitol Hill. But, Rick, there was a lot else going on this week at the White House uh, beyond health care and beyond this fight. And the story that I think is the the most underrated uh, story of the week and, and possibly the most significant story of the week, even though it didn't get as much attention, is the way the president and the White House announced his first foreign trip, which uh, we knew was going to be a visit to, uh, to a NATO meeting in Brussels, a G7 meeting in Sicily. But we now learn the president's going to be going to uh, see the Pope at the Vatican. He's going to go uh, to Israel. And, Rick, he is going to start the trip off by going to Saudi Arabia. And I want this to sink in for a second. Donald Trump, the author of the Muslim ban, the the, the person who, as a candidate, proposed banning all Muslims from entering the United States, that Donald Trump, for his very first foreign trip, symbolically incredibly important where a president goes on his first foreign trip, he is going to the birthplace of Islam. 
astounding and dizzying if you think about what that represents for the changes in foreign policy. And John, I is this to your mind? Is this a signal about shifting influence inside the White House? A different emphasis? It's unfathomable to me that candidate Trump could have gotten away, would have even tried to say that his first visit as president would be Saudi Arabia. Imagine what his reaction would have been if President Obama had said he's going to start his presidency out by visiting Saudi Arabia. It seems like this is not an accident, right? They're telegraphing that there's a reason behind this, and it seems like that reason kind of tells you a lot about how his foreign policy is, and it's not just evolving, it is flat out changing. So, Rick, in the midst of that crazy day at the White House on Thursday that culminated with the passage in the House of the health care bill. It was a day that began with the signing of an executive order uh, on religious freedom and uh, you know dealing with the so-called Johnson Amendment, evangelicals in the Rose Garden. In the midst of all that, kind of packed between those two fairly big events at the White House, there was a background briefing with senior administration officials, senior national security officials in the White House. Uh, giving us the lay of the land on this trip. And, Rick, I asked specifically, what is the symbolic importance of going to Saudi Arabia first? And I was told, point blank, that this was done precisely because this is uh, the place where it is the custodian of the two most holy sites in Islam, Mecca and Medina, and that this was sending a message. And I will tell you, if this was the most underrated development of the week, I think one of the most underwritten stories so far of the of the Trump presidency is his relations with uh, our Arab allies uh, in 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 the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, the Gulf, the the the, uh, the Gulf states, uh, Egypt. He has quietly. Uh, become uh, what many of our Arab allies, are, these Muslim countries, uh, view as a breath of fresh air and a and a uh, taking a, a direction that, in the view of of, of those countries, and specifically, uh, a, a a welcome change from what we saw under President Obama. Yes, Donald Trump. It's early in his presidency, but the 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 foreign policy that is starting to emerge towards the Middle East is one in which our Arab Muslim allies in the region see as a much uh, more positive direction than what they had under Barack Obama. Who'd have thunk? I mean, <laughs> I mean, really, really? That's, ins- that's, that's it's a crazy development if you think about how much that, that represents. Uh, so are we going to remember, John, this week as the, as the week where Trump became president. We've said this before, but he even said it. I thought that was a striking moment in the Rose Garden. Hey, I'm president. It's like he's understanding that. We've talked about the maturation of foreign policy, the notching of the legislative victories that kept the the government open in addition to getting the health care bill. He seems to be relishing the moment and enjoying the job just a little bit more than he was a week ago. Uh, Indeed, indeed. Uh, But, you know, we we, we can live a and it, it seems sometimes almost an entire presidential term in a week <laughs> in the Trump White House. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. So, you know, I mean, obviously on the foreign policy side, this is really about uh, uh, this White House taking a much tougher line on uh, Iran and also, frankly, being willing to look the other way on human rights violations. Yeah. I mean, uh, another big development. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, no, no question. But in terms of 
the big domestic achievement uh, on healthcare it was striking to me uh, to see a celebration in the Rose Garden uh, for a bill that had simply passed one chamber, had simply passed the House, a bill that faces an incredibly uphill uh, battle in, in the Senate. And even if they manage to pass it in the Senate, it's going to be changed, which means it's going to have to pass in the House again. In other words, long, long, long way to go. We get to do this again, you're saying? We get to do the House again? As, as if, um, you know, it, it was all a done deal. I mean, uh, we, we, we had to wait for, uh, for the BFD on passing Obamacare until it had passed all those steps uh, before there was any kind of a celebration at the White House. But that doesn't surprise you really if you watch President Trump because he thinks of the image as everything. And he's hoping that that provides its own momentum in terms of public support for what they're doing. And, of course, in the Senate, if you, if you were just looking at the images, you thought they just passed the bill that he's going to sign. This was the Republican-controlled House passing a, a bill to repeal Obamacare. What did they do that, like 40-something times in the, in the Obama years? Uh, and they didn't uh, they didn't even have press conferences to celebrate them by the end. This was a big one that I think is just Trump being Trump in politics and allowing all those members of Congress to speak, the, the striking image of all of them streaming through the Oval Office and hundreds of the members of Congress in the Oval. All of that about the trappings of the presidency and trying to create their own momentum here you know, 106 days in. Desperately needed and, and, and maybe even more needed by uh, the person that was standing behind the president when he came into the Rose Garden, Paul Ryan. I had spoken, Rick, just the night before to a uh, somebody very close to the House leadership uh, who was, and, and, a, and a big fan of Paul Ryan's, by the way, openly worrying that one, they wouldn't pull this off and two, it would ultimately cost Paul Ryan uh, his speakership. So here he was. He gets another lease on life. So listen to the way Donald Trump spoke about Paul Ryan there in the Rose Garden. You know, Paul, for the last week I've been hearing Paul Ryan doesn't have it. It's not working with Paul Ryan. He's going to get rid of Paul Ryan. Then today I heard Paul Ryan's a genius. He's come along. (laughs) (laughs) It may have uh, been a little... Struck a little close to home, Rick. <laughs> but, I, but I also like the notion that, that, that he's hearing he's going to get rid of Paul Ryan. What is that? The, does the president that? choose? Yeah. I, I'm kind of unclear on the House rules. Does the president choose the Speaker of the House? How does that work? Well, we'll, we'll work on that one. I, I, this is potentially a dream team for Republicans. You've got the brawn of Trump, the brain of Ryan, and the template that's established here. But this is also potentially a nightmare situation for Republicans because they may just give just enough policy to President Trump and his team to drive through that, that provokes a huge backlash. We've seen it before on health care. We've seen it in 1994. We've seen it in 2010. This happens. This is real. And when you mess with health care, you own it. President Obama and President Clinton both learned that as well. So this is a no doubt a soaring moment for Paul Ryan, a, a, a moment he's waited for so long as a policy wonk and as a as a, a member of leadership. He has wanted this so desperately for so long. And for President Trump, a huge, huge win. But again, you come back to what the cost might be. And, you know, Republicans just don't feel confident right now that they can go out there and sell this the same way they were celebrating it uh, you know but the one thing you got you have to acknowledge here is that in the short term it is quite a victory because this is something that had been declared dead i mean even by people like i mean like rick klein out there in the world thought that they were that they weren't going to pull this off True. Uh, republicans on, on, on capitol hill thought they were not going to pull this off and they pulled off the narrowest of victory but 
certainly at least in the interim, a big victory. And one of the individuals that was instrumental and key to this is somebody that perhaps a lot of Americans uh, uh, don't know and have not even heard his voice, but we are going to hear it here on the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. Rick Dearborn, White House Deputy Chief of Staff for Legislative Intergovernmental Affairs and Implementation. It's quite a title, Rick. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Uh, we're doing great. So we, we've been we've been talking about you know obviously uh, a, a big uh, victory, but an interim victory uh, for, for the president. And it struck me to see a celebration after a bill simply passes the House. You know better than anybody. There's a long way to go on this. What is your what is your assessment of of, of, of how this stands in the Senate, and how are you going to navigate that minefield? Right. Well, first of all, I think it's a first step. Um, I, I don't think that there was a, 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 a celebration uh, or, or any kind of a spiking of the football. I think that's I think that's a narrative that people are trying to build. Um, wait, wait, Rick, Rick, you'll acknowledge it looked a heck of a lot like a celebration. I mean, all those. I, I think it was. I think it was the president. No, I think it was the president thanking the House for for the hard work that they put in. Uh, it, it's not easy. I mean, that's, that's a lot of folks that you have to wrangle together. There's a lot of different factions that had to come together. They worked hard on it. Uh, you had everyone from the Freedom Caucus to the Tuesday group, uh, a lot of leadership in both of those teams trying to sit down and work through the complexities of a bill. Um, and it just takes time. And I think that they all, you know, they all came together. Uh, it, was a, it was a hard-fought effort. They did a really good job. And I think that the president wanted to thank them. Um, but we see it as a first step. I mean, the Senate is obviously where, where, where the next phase goes. Uh, this is a three-part process. We have to get it through the House. We have to get it through the Senate. And then get it to the president's desk so he can sign it. So, yeah, and to your point about the Senate, the Senate is a much different animal. Um, you know, in the House, uh, you can work with the leadership and with leaders of, of different factions to move lots of members. Uh, in the Senate, it's much more of a, a personal, interpersonal relationship uh, with each one of the senators. Uh, obviously, they represent an entire state versus a district, uh, and I think that they tend to look look at these items a little bit more globally as well. So, you know, we do have our our, our work cut out for us, but we I think we got a good foundation and a good base, uh, and we're already starting to talk to the Senate team. I mean, every senator is a potential uh, yeah, has the potential to 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 block this thing. You have fifty two Republicans; you're going to need fifty uh, to pass it. And, and I count, uh, you know, at least a half a dozen different ways this could potentially go down. Now, I, I probably could have counted, uh, you know, a couple of dozen ways it could have gone down in, in the House. But Susan Collins has concerns about uh, the defunding of, of Planned Parenthood. That's like a, 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 you know, a do or die issue for her on this bill. Uh, you have uh, senators like, uh, like Portman that have raised concerns about what this does uh, to Medicaid funding into the states that accepted uh, the Medicaid expansion. Uh, you've got you've got specific concerns uh, by the Alaska senators. You have uh, Rand Paul, who um, uh, you know was one of the toughest uh, critics of, of of the bill in the House. M- more positively inclined, no doubt, uh, to to the one that just passed, but still has concerns. Uh, conservatives like Mike Lee and Ted Cruz, who never liked the idea of these tax credits to begin with. I mean, it just seems like. We, 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 we've seen how any individual senator in the past can, can, can stand up and really throw, uh, throw a monkey wrench in, in, into a process like this. I, I, think, I think if your listeners, um, uh, just having listened to what you walked through, 
it would be hard to distinguish the difference between the House and the Senate with what you've just walked through. I mean, this was the same thing they were saying about all the different factions in the House. And listen, I mean, if, if, if people were going to believe the narrative over the last two or three weeks, I mean, it was dead in the House. It wasn't coming back. There's no possible way they could pass it. So I, I personally feel like everyone's now just turning the guns on the Senate trying to say the same thing. And it's, from our vantage point, that's fine. I mean, while, while people want to try that narrative, which, which we think is completely premature, we're going to do what we need to do, which is the hard work of rolling up our sleeves, uh, sitting down with these members, walking through many of the issues that you just raised, and putting, putting together a package that, first of all, uh, repeals and replaces this current system, which everybody agrees is in a death spiral. I mean, you get insurers just jumping out of these markets left and right in every single state. People may have an insurance card, but they can't afford their insurance. They can't even meet their deductible. They can barely pay their premiums, and premiums are jacked up through the roof. So every one of the individuals we're going to work with are talking about issues that they care about, but every one of those items is something that we feel like we can work with them on and we can solve because the system that we're going to put back in place, uh, a system that is patient-focused, doctor-focused, is going to be better than the system that we currently have, and everybody recognizes that, even the individuals that you that you're that you're pointing out. So that, yes, they all have their their different items that that they would like to focus on. But from our vantage point, um, we welcome that. We look forward to talking with them. Have you worked out, Rick, with with senators uh, the starting point for their discussions? There's been some talk about them starting from scratch. There's their own committee process. They'll wait for the CBO score. But are are you confident that they're going to be using the House bill as a template, or are they starting from scratch over there? Well, I think there are a lot of provisions in the House that the Senate was already looking at vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Byrd Rule. Um, so there were provisions that I think I think that the Senate was already, um, you know, there's all these inside baseball terms that are, they, they sound a little silly, but, you know, putting things through a bird bath and making sure that they can stand muster in the Senate. So a lot, a lot of the different pieces of the House bill have already been put through that process. So I don't think there's a start from scratch. Um, will there be some changes? Of course, the Senate's a different animal than the House. Um, but I think we feel really good where we are. Uh, there's a proposal that will now go to the Senate. We'll work with the Senate leadership, with the committee chairman and the rank and file. Um, but there's, there's a lot of different bases for us to cover. Uh, and we're excited about it. We're excited about the process, and we look forward to it. You mentioned this as a first step, and obviously it's an important first step, a big win for you guys, important first step for the broader legislative agenda as well. What's the spillover effect? What's the template? What are the lessons that you learn from this that you hope, okay, now we got this done. This is how we can move forward on tax reform. This is how we can move forward on infrastructure. What do you take away from this episode that gives you confidence that this won't just be a one-off? Well, I think you learn from each one of these successes, right? I mean, it's a new team. It's a new administration, a new president. Um, he's never been a politician before. We have a uh, a very diverse team here at the White House. Um, several people have experience uh, on the Hill and with Congress, uh, and a lot don't. Uh, we have a fantastic leader in our vice president that the president uh, has, has come not only to rely on, but that was a, a true leader for us uh, in, in, in working the issue on the Hill. But the president himself was engaged. I mean, the, the, the time that the two of them put into our effort on the, on the House side, uh, to me, if you want to do some type of an after action, um, I, I think is invaluable in terms of how we'll learn, you know, how best to approach tax reform, infrastructure, a lot of the other priorities that we're going to try to push down the road. So uh, you, you heard, I'm sure, Nancy Pelosi's closing speech in the debate on the House floor. I want to play one clip that's gotten a lot of attention. The people who vote for this will have this vote tattooed 
to their foreheads as they go forward. They have to answer for the vote. So, and of course, they were singing goodbye as soon as it hit 216. Uh, Democrats that, that uh, we've spoken to, Democrats have made no secret uh, publicly that they think that this was a big gift politically to them as much as they opposed uh, uh, this bill. They believe that you now own uh, concerns that Americans will have about health care, uh, the, uh, the, the fact that uh, the, the estimates show, you know, CBO last time around, we'll see what they show this time around, 24 million people losing health care over 10 years, uh, concerns about what this will mean in terms of the, uh, the guarantee for pre-existing conditions uh, coverage. Um, how, how, how concerned are you this is something that will come back to haunt Republicans in the midterms next year? I think when you put the power the power back in the hands of the American public uh, and and their doctors and and hospitals uh, for healthcare professionals, um, you create a market where there is greater competition, more healthcare plans, more insurance underwriting than than fewer. Uh, you create the conditions for reduced premiums uh, and lower deductibles. Um, I, I think they're completely off point. Look, they think government can solve all problems. They think that the government can run health care. Well, it's obvious in the last seven years, all we've seen is premiums shoot through the roof, deductibles out of control, people, people who supposedly had health care that couldn't even afford it. So basically they were paying out of pocket, going to the emergency room, not even able to afford what they had, and never even had a chance to use it. So our focus is passing something that reduces the premiums, drops deductibles, something that they can actually use. Um, I personally think that they were the ones that made the mistake. I think that we're, we're now left with having to clean up their mess, um, and we're trying to provide and give the power back to the people uh, and to try to provide greater options uh, for better care. So I, I think that what we've put together in the House is something that we'll be able to build on in the Senate. Uh, and we're looking forward to the day the president has a chance to sign it and provide real reform and real health care options to the American people. And Rick Dearborn, before we let you go, what kind of political cover is the president prepared to to offer to the members who went out there? Uh, critics say he just walked the plank for something that will never happen. What is he going to do for the folks who stood by him? We know the threats that he issued when they weren't standing by him uh, five or six weeks ago. Well, look, the president's prepared to take the case to the, to the American public, um, and I think he's very supportive of those who've supported him on this proposal uh, on, on the health care bill. Um, I think he's looking forward, um, as he does uh, on a weekly basis, of, of getting out and, and getting his agenda outside the Beltway, going to the folks uh, across the country. Uh, we've done a little bit of that travel. We'll be doing more of it. Um, and he'll have a chance to walk through the successful plan that will ultimately wind up passing the Senate. They'll have a chance to sign uh, when it comes across his desk. So I think we're looking forward to that. And, and I think we're very thankful that we had uh, 217 folks in the House uh, that decided to help us uh, move the ball in this process. All right. Uh, Rick Dearborn, at the risk of sounding like Colombo, just one more before you go. One more question. Tax reform. What's the next right. step? When are we going to see uh, the details on the president's tax reform? And what's the uh, what's what's the end game? What's 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 the goal? When is this done? So he's already you know the, as as you've probably seen he's already come out and talked about um, lowering the corporate rate, talking about uh, reducing marginal rates. Now it's just a process of working with uh, Senate and House leadership, uh, Ways and Means, the Finance Committee, just starting to get the ball rolling, um, laying the groundwork for building to you know 
building a proposal that we can work on jointly with the House and Senate uh, and, and then go through their committee process. Um, we're excited about it. We're, we're seeing a lot of agreement um, both in the House and the Senate on the proposal. Um, and um, at this stage, we're at the beginning, the beginning stages of, uh, of tax reform, but we're seeing a lot of really good traction. I think we're, we're excited about uh, the, the chance to provide some, some historic tax relief to the American public and middle class. Final passage by the end of the year? We're hopeful. Yes, sir. All right. Rick Dearborn, thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. We'll see you around the White House. Thanks a lot. Take care. So, Rick, uh, you know, he's right about the Senate. Um, it, it, it's a mistake to say that this is dead in the Senate. It, it's simply a mistake. Uh, I, I could tell you a dozen reasons why I, you know, it could fail in the Senate, and it's certainly going to be a tough battle. Uh, but, but you know, Republicans have been talking about repealing and replacing Obamacare <laughs> for as long as there's been Obamacare, and there is a lot of momentum towards doing something even if there isn't a heck of a lot of agreement on all the specifics. That's, I, I, that's right. I, I, I don't discount that at all. And I was cavalier in saying the House wouldn't pass it, and I was right before I was wrong, John, and you were wrong for a long time before you were right. Uh, but I think it's important for this to, to consider the Senate on its own, and there's lots of obstacles there. But I, the other thing not to discount in this is that now there's something called Trump care, and people will pick apart, rightfully so, Every element of it, every aspect of it. They'll want to know how does it impact me, how does it impact my friends, my family, what are the big costs. And you can still see opposition developing from both the right and the center, center slash left. There's going to be – we know the left is going to be against it, but the center as well. And that those 20 votes that they lost in the House, you can't lose 20 senators. You only lose two. And then on the conservative side, once we see the costs, there could be some sticker shock around that. So there are so many people that are going to be aiming for this now that there is something out there. There is something that is tangible, real – that will be analyzed over the course of weeks and months. Members of Congress going home to their districts. Senators are going to be hearing the, the feedback. Uh, and, and Trump's going to have to play defense. And he's going to have to understand what's in the bill, too, because it wasn't lost on members of Congress that hours after talking about that fantastic reform, he went out and praised the Australian health care system, said that was better than the U.S. That, of course, is a Medicare for all system. So, wow, figure that one out if you're a Republican trying to, trying to understand where the, where, the, where the president stands on this ideolo- ideologically. And, and, and moving to our next interview, Rick, clearly Democrats smell blood. Joining us now on Powerhouse Politics, Congressman Ben Ray Lujan, the chairman of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and a Democrat from New Mexico. And uh, Mr. Chairman, let's talk about the vote. Uh, first of all, uh, I just want to clear up what was going on on the floor, because you could hear on the audio, and I, I just thought it was really striking. I heard chants of na-na-na-na, hey-hey-hey, goodbye. Did you hear that? Was, that? was that Democrats chanting at Republicans? What was going on on the floor as the vote went down? Uh, there were some of our colleagues that were, um, uh, were, were sharing those words with our Republican colleagues um, as the vote closed. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I think that there was a lot of different emotion that was on the House floor today as House Republicans um, did what they did. And is that the is that the political calculus? I mean, you know, we, we could talk about policy and we cover policy and we understand your your views on this and, and very upset about what's what's going on right now from a political perspective as the chairman of the DCCC. Is this a is this an, an opportunity for Democrats from where you sit? Uh, I think there definitely is an opportunity to take the fight to the American people. 
and uh, make sure that the American people completely understand what House Republicans did um, uh, with the repeal of the Affordable Care Act and passing Trump Care. Uh, the manner in which President Trump and House Republicans went about distorting reality and twisting arms in order to ram through this disastrous bill um, was done with no hearings, uh, no idea on what it will cost or how many people's lives and health will be destroyed. Um, so we have a responsibility as Democrats to reach out to the American people um, through town halls, through door-to-door uh, -door activity, and with every mechanism that we have, uh, and let them know uh, what House Republicans did. Um, in the end, what House Republicans did with this disastrous vote is uh, it will raise the cost um, of health insurance to the American people. It will raise their premiums, raise their deductibles, raise their out-of-pocket costs. It will kick millions of Americans off their health plan. Um, uh, 15 to 24 million people is what everyone believes um, is that number. It slaps an age tax on those between 50 and 64. It eliminates protections for those with pre-existing conditions. What Republicans did is allow health insurers to charge people with pre-existing conditions uh, as much as they want to charge them now. Uh, that's not protecting people with pre-existing conditions. That's, that's hurting people. Uh, Republicans went further. They uh, moved forward policy that would ration the care that people and their families receive through these high-risk pools. Um, we know high-risk pools just don't work in so many parts of America and arguably bring back annual and lifetime caps, another failed promise of, uh, of Republicans. And then they went on to eliminate essential health benefits. So uh, before the Affordable Care Act, health insurance policies could be sold that didn't even cover uh, patients' visits to the hospital. Uh, Republicans uh, eliminated that protection, and uh, now lemon plans will be able to be sold to the American people yet again. So you, you've seen elections turn on health care already. Uh, back in 2010, you remember it, um, a little before your time here and before my time covering politics, 1993, 94. That was, I think, a reference, the na-na-na-na stuff was a reference to what Republicans chanted, the Democrats, back then. What, what gives you confidence that Democrats can rally behind Obamacare, rally behind health care when you've seen national elections turn against you on the same issues? Well, this is a very personal issue. Um, health care to the American people is, a, is an issue that um, touches everyone. Uh, we saw before the Affordable Care Act so many families that were losing their homes losing everything that they saved, um, losing everything the family had because they had uh, such uh, out-of-control health care bills. There were no protections for individuals. And because you got diagnosed with cancer, um, it, it may as well have been a diagnosis with bankruptcy as well. And because of that, uh, because these are issues that we talk about around the dinner table, um, around the kitchen table, um, with how families are impacted in their pocketbooks. Uh, the very nature that House Republicans moved a piece of legislation that not only would devastate coverage to over 24 million of the American people, but would arguably raise the cost of premiums and out-of-pocket costs and deductibles uh, on the very people that House Republicans were promising to protect. Uh, I think that once we make this very personal argument uh, to the American people, that House Republicans will be held accountable. Um, they, they will carry the burden of their vote. Um, as Leader Pelosi said, House Republicans will be tattooed 
uh, with this vote as well. And so we have a responsibility to take this fight to the American people. And uh, as you pointed out, um, you know, the reference to uh, the chant on the House floor was in response to what Republicans did back in 1994 when a piece of legislation passed with one vote. Uh, Republicans thought they were clever today by passing this with two votes. (laughs) Well, any two Republican House members that voted yes today um, bear the responsibility for this bill passing. So give me some names. When you're, you're looking at this, you're looking at the board, you're in the House chamber, you see those, you see the, the yeses, the yeas and the nays lighting up. What are the ones that you thought, wow, this, this, is, this is a big mistake for member X, Y, or Z? Well, you know, down in Florida, um, we had a congresswoman who just announced her retirement, Congresswoman Ileana uh, ross Leitnam, who right. uh, voted no and about, announced she would vote no. And she talked about the dire consequences of what this bill would deliver to people in South Florida. Um, Carlos Curbelo, uh, who is a congressman down in the 26th District of Florida, um, who uh, also serves on the Ways and Means Committee and voted to move this bill through the Ways and Means Committee before he had a congressional budget score that showed 24 million people would lose their coverage and deductibles would go up and all the rest that came with that, um, voted yes in committee, only to come out of committee and suggest he would vote no on this bill. Um, and uh, and then we, we, we saw, uh, we were watching Carlos to see what he might do. Because Ileana voted no, we thought, well, Carlos is probably going to be a no. He'll do the right thing for his constituents. Well, today he voted yes. Um, I think the people of South Florida are going to demand answers as to why Ileana was a no and Carlos was a yes um, on this bill. And, and we'll take that argument um, there as well. Um, down in uh, South, Southern Arizona, uh, Congresswoman McSally was a yes. Um, targets all around the country, up in New York and uh, um, uh, in, in, in California. Daryl Issa uh, was a big surprise um, that Daryl Issa would support this piece of legislation as well, um, given the number of constituents that he had that overwhelmingly reject um, the repeal of the um, Affordable Care Act. Um, and his constituents, like uh, constituents across America, um, uh, rejected this bill wholeheartedly. There was a reason why... Um, it was only polling at 17% approval. And this was before Republicans moved a piece of legislation to amend uh, the repeal bill um, that would strip more protections against those with pre-existing conditions. Um, and then, quite honestly, get caught. Uh, congressman MacArthur out of New Jersey, another uh, congressman that we were surprised that ultimately voted uh, yes on this bill, uh, because he's tried sneaking in a provision that would have exempted members of Congress from this monstrosity. You heard that right, Rick. Yeah. Congressman MacArthur in the dark of night tried submitting a piece of legislation that would exempt members of Congress. And when Republicans got caught, they had to write another piece of legislation to correct that, but only because they got caught. So how does the tattooing take place from your perspective? What do you, what do you do in the next weeks and months to keep this front of mind? Are you going to be out in members' districts next week? Is it part of fundraising appeals? What, is the, what does the effort look like from here? Well, right out of the gate, um, as we saw not only this debate taking place on Republicans trying to move Trump care, um, but especially after the Women's March, with the energy that we've seen all across America the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee launched something called March into 18. And what March into 18 consisted of was an effort to be able to uh, uh, capture and and, and learn from the grassroots energy all across America. We sent um, uh, a field staff into over 20 Republican-held districts across America, 
starting in February. It was the earliest that this has ever been done in order to start organizing, recruiting candidates, recruiting volunteers, recruiting campaign staff and field staff, um, having a digital um, online presence, and uh, a Republican accountability project. And we'll continue to do that. It's really the grassroots of the American people that will make sure that this vote sticks to these House Republicans, whether they voted yes or they voted no. House Republicans bear the responsibility of this vote, and it will be the American people, that team of of grassroots across the country that we will work with, we will learn with, and we will organize with. Um, That's going to be the secret to making sure this sticks to House Republicans. And just to get back to the chanting for a second, because it just it struck me as odd. I'm just curious what it felt like on the floor. Did you feel like it was unseemly at all? I mean, it just it seemed like such a strange thing. But the, the House floor can be a raucous place, I know, at times. Well, there, there are there's different um, uh, comments coming from different corners of the chamber from uh, both sides of the aisle. And um, different members respond in different ways. And, and sometimes, you know, emotion um, takes people into different avenues, and I think that's what we heard today. Um, uh, and, you know, look, in the end, we have a responsibility to make sure that we're reaching out to the country outside of that chamber um, and taking this fight to the American people. Um, but different members respond in different ways, and I think that's what we saw on the House floor today. Congressman Ben Ray Lujan, Democrat of New Mexico, chairman of the D-TRIP, thank you for being here and uh, enjoy your, your congressional recess. Well, thank you so much, Rick. I look forward to those town halls and getting together with people all across the country. Uh, Stay active, stay informed, and uh, let's get this done together. Excellent. Thanks a lot. John, I was intrigued by the explanation of why the emotion on the House floor, but also the the idea that they were looking at those names, and they are tracking name by name, person by person, who is voting for this, looking at the political fallout. And, you know, Democrats are obviously going to fight every step of the way to try to, to keep the status quo of Obamacare, and they've got some polling data on their side now. But when they see Trump care come in as a tangible alternative, that is political opportunity. And man, were there a whole bunch of campaign ads that got cut by the events at the White House this week. Absolutely. The Rose Garden event and then seeing those Republicans stream into the Oval Office, uh, you know, well over 100 of them crowding into the Oval Office. I was I was getting image. I was in, in my head. I was imagining Andrew Jackson's inauguration party. Uh, you know, I mean, it was just, you know, packed in the president seated at the desk, loving it, raucous. Um First of all, a bit premature, and uh, for people that have concerns or fears about what's going to happen to their health care, uh, the juxtaposition will be, will be pr- could potentially be problematic uh, for Republicans. Uh, Rick, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but that's all the time we have on Powerhouse Politics. We've got, like, there were like 10 other storylines this week <laughs> we didn't get to, so, uh, so we'll be back. I mean, maybe we'll even try to do another emergency podcast next week. There's always room for that. There's always room for that. Man, another, another wacky week, but a week where Trump can say I'm president. Indeed, he is. I can confirm. Uh, That's it for Powerhouse Politics. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Dave Rind, our chief executive producer, Angie Yak, Avery Miller, our exalted uh, executive uh, producers, and many other things. And uh, and Rick, uh, thank you to you. We'll see you in just a few days.